1: these
0: books i thought i'd take some light reading in case i got bored well hello and welcome to tfm's local books and comic show for star trek and i am just one of the hosts here matthew rushing i'm so excited to be here as we have so much to talk about uh this episode and with me is none other than the one and only casey pettit casey how are you
1: i am doing good our uh, we we just there's so much Star Trek coming out in the uh, literary and comic world right now. It is our our cup runneth over with Star Trek fiction. So and and nonfiction, I guess too. So uh, yeah, you know, it's a good time to be a Star Trek literary fan.
0: Yeah, I mean, um, I'm I'm right there with you. You know, with all that we have in this news segment, it is jam packed. So. We'll get to that in just a moment. We wanted to thank everybody for listening to us. We really do appreciate everybody, uh, you know, uh, connecting with us, listening to us. Of course, you can uh, subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and you'll be able to hear every single show that we do. Uh, Make sure that you do that. We'd really appreciate uh, you uh, subscribing on, you know, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you're listening. Um, If you can give us a star rating review, that would really help. And in fact, um, Casey has an extra copy of the book that we're going to be covering today, Making It So by Patrick Stewart. And so we want to be able to give that away to you. And the only, the best way uh, to be able to <laughs> do that is is through a contest with uh, Apple Podcasts. Uh, so anyone reviewing us starting from the release of this episode... Um, which will, as we're recording this, it'll be just a few days. So when you listen to this episode, if you haven't given us a rating review on the Apple Podcast platform, uh, go over and do so. Uh, it does need to be in the U.S. store, uh, so that way Casey can, can ship the book to you as well. And uh, we will pick a winner here uh, at the end of November. So we've got all of November for you to be able to do this. And uh, we can't wait to be able to give this book to you, uh, Casey and I. We're going to be talking about it in the future, and honestly, I think both of us would agree this is worthwhile for not only Star Trek fans, but anybody who's just interested in the life of a Hollywood legend, mm-hmm. uh, and so we're very excited to be able to give this away to somebody. Of course, uh, you can also follow us all over social media and keep track of everything uh, at TrekFM or on Facebook at facebook.com slash TrekFM. There is a listeners-only discussion group that you can join called the Babel Conference. That's got listeners from all over the world in it talking about the different shows that we're doing here on the network. You can also find us online at Trek.FM and see all of the shows that are coming out. And if you want to make sure that all of the shows do keep coming to you, become a patron. Over at Patreon.com slash Trek.FM, Casey Pettit and Greg Rosier are... Patrons here of Literary Treks, we really appreciate their support because without listeners just like them, these shows can't keep coming to you each and every week. So we really encourage you to go do that. Um, And with all of that said, Casey, like we mentioned, we have an incredible news segment because there's just so much news that has uh, been coming out about Star Trek books. Uh, One sad note that I, I, at front we're we're only going to have one sad note and the rest is going to be, I think pretty awesome. Uh, But uh, the making of a Star Trek Picard book actually has been pushed back a little bit. Um, If, uh, if you've ordered this, you would have gotten an email there from some place like Amazon, letting you know that be the case. Um, the release date for that is now in February on the 27th. So I'm not quite sure why that would be the case. My guess is is probably just uh, printing... Uh, issues or something like that. So uh, that will not be coming out until February 27th uh, next year in 2024. So that's the only bit of sad news. But my goodness, Casey, <laughs> do we have an incredible run of great news when it comes to new Star Trek fiction that is going to be coming out in 2024?
1: Yeah, it. you know, New York Comic Con, I think, is where all this news came from. And I don't think anybody was expecting any book news to come out of something like a Comic-Con, but, uh, you know, with with the strikes happening on the... the the television and you know feature film mediums uh you know we we got uh, some opportunities to see these things and the first new one uh, that's coming out in on May 21st 2024 is a Star Trek the Next Generation and Deep Space 9 book from our friend Dayton Ward so he's got a new one coming out called Pliable Truths and uh I don't know Matt should I just read the read the blurb yeah
0: Absolutely, because I think this one sounds incredibly interesting.
1: Yeah. So the year is 2369. Shortly after Starfleet thwarts a Cardassian attack on a Federation star system, the Cardassian government orders an end to its 50-year occupation of the planet Bajor. As a result, a newly installed Bajoran government requests immediate assistance from the Federation to mediate how the withdrawal will proceed and what recompense, if any, Bajorans are owed from their brutal oppressors. Captain Jean-Luc Picard is ordered by Starfleet Command to oversee these tense negotiations on Terok Nor, the massive Cardassian space station still orbiting Bajor, even as he still deals with his own recent trauma as a prisoner held and tortured by a Cardassian interrogator. As these critical peace talks get underway, Ensign Roe Laren receives a call for help from a friend thought long dead, exposing an insidious secret from inside Cardassian space. Now, Picard and the crew of the Starship Enterprise must act to prevent an interstellar incident from reigniting deadly hostilities between the Federation and the Cardassians and shattering any hope of justice for the Bajoran people.
0: I mean... I don't know if this book could sound any more epic yeah. by you know setting up the stage for Deep Space Nine as a series, and I think even um, legitimizing more so you know why Picard is there at the station in the first place at in the first episode. You know, I, I think um, making that the case, and you know, I to me. Honestly, one of the most exciting things about this book is that idea that Picard dealing with the fallout of his experience uh, and with, with the torture. And to me, that's, that's a really, really interesting idea to, to, to bring up here and not something that you know the, the show, of course, really ever dealt with at all. And so this book sounds phenomenal.
1: Yeah, I definitely can't wait for this one. It's it seems like the story that we never knew we needed or wanted, and I think in the hands of Dayton Ward, we're going to be in for something special. You know, we uh, I've always thought Captain Picard at, in that first episode of Deep Space Nine seemed a little bit more hardened. I mean, you know, the attitude he was getting from Cisco was, um, you know, probably a little hard on Picard, but. You know, coming off the heels of uh, being tortured by the Cardassians, it, it stands to reason that Picard probably doesn't really want to be there any more than Cisco does right now. And um, also, having Ro Laren in this book is interesting too, because, you know, a lot of us know that when they were creating Deep Space Nine, they wanted Michelle Forbes to play Ro Laren right. um, as the, the Bajoran liaison. And when Michelle Forbes passed on that opportunity, they created the character of Kira. So I'm I'm kind of curious if they're going to kind of almost retcon that in a little bit as having Roe intending to be there. Maybe not, but I mean, just still cool to see Roe you know, involved in, in a Deep Space Nine story long before the relaunch mm-hmm. series. Yeah, I mean, the thing with Roe, too, is I think it allows you to be able to
0: connect to where they go with the character in Picard you know, and, and her history there. So I think that's going to be very interesting. And, um, you know, again, like you said, and I think you said it really well, this is kind of a story we just never knew we always needed. Uh, and this is the type of place where you truly can fill in a lot of, um, those gaps, right. And create really interesting stories. And, and this is a fantastic story idea. Um, for, for the next book that's going to be coming out there in July 23 of 2024, uh, it's going to be by Greg Cox. It's called Lost to Eternity, and they say about this book because it's a Star Trek movie era book, which you know I'm a huge fan of, um, three eras, three mysteries, one ancient enemy. Uh, and it says in 2024, almost 40 years ago, maritime biologist Jillian Anderson stormed away from her dream job at San Francisco's Cetacean Institute and was never seen or heard from again. And now a true crime podcast has reopened that cold case. But investigator Melinda Silver has no idea her search for the truth about Jillian's disappearance will ultimately stretch across time and space and attract the attention of a ruthless obsessive with his own secret agenda 2268 the uss enterprise's five-year mission is interrupted when james t kirk and his crew set out to recover an abducted federation scientist whose classified secrets are being sought by the klingons as well the trail leads to a barbaric world off limits to both starfleet and the klingon empire and an angel's mastermind on a quest for eternity 2292, the Osari, an ancient alien species, has finally agreed to establish relations with its much younger neighbors, the Federation, the Klingons, and the Romulans. A joint mission involving ships from all three powers, including the Enterprise-A, turns explosive when one of the Osari envoys is apparently killed. Each side blames the other, but the truth lies buried deep nearly 300 years in the past.
1: Wow. Wow, indeed. And, you know, it's it's great seeing Greg Cox come back. Uh, we we haven't had anything from him in a long time. And he even noted that uh, when he was posting about this on social media, that, you know, he's, he's almost coming back to this. It, you know, I think he's had a, probably had an original series book a few years ago, but Um, you know, it's been a while and, you know, he's, he's one of the greats and this sounds pretty epic. It's, it'd be nice to see, um, you know, some tie-ins to Star Trek four and, uh, the original series and the, you know, the rest of the movie era. Um, these, these time-spanning stories are always fun and, uh, yeah, just looking forward to seeing, seeing where this one goes. It's nice. sounds like a nice little standalone book here.
0: Yeah. I think again, um, I mean, one of the, the things that we've talked about many times is, is really finding those cracks that you have and, and filling in uh, places that, you know, like we talked about with that, you know, first book. Uh, that we were mentioning like we didn't even know we needed this story and you know i think this is another thing to to follow up on the story with star trek 4 and jillian armstrong i think is is really interesting uh it's something that uh, you know i've always kind of wanted i know the book probe follows up on that Mm -hmm. but i also know that that book has a really tortured history uh with the story that they the author wanted to tell and the book that actually became what it is and so all of this sounds really great. And of course, anytime in the movie era, you know, there's so much wiggle room with places to play here. Um, it, I, I'm, I'm really fascinated to, to see, you know, where we go with this. And especially to, you know, hitting anything that's going to have the Enterprise A in it, I'm, I'm a fan of. So, yeah. um, but uh, we also have a, a new comic that got announced at uh, New York Comic Con, uh, Sons of Star Trek. And this is going to be a comic that just as it implies, it takes a closer look at some of the famous sons of the franchise, whether that's Alexander or Jake or Nog, Q's son, even. And they also even talked about the idea of maybe including Jack Crusher as well. Uh and so it does seem as though um that this is going it is just a mini series that's going to be happening. Uh so it but it also seems as though they have um some wiggle room as to how big this miniseries can be, because, you know, if they decide to include somebody like Jack Crusher or um maybe, you know, they it's something they could maybe kind of add to as as they think through. Um maybe, you know, you might even get something like David uh from, mm. you know, Star Trek too um and so all of those things i think would be really interesting so yeah i mean comics have have been coming out fast and furious (laughs) in all honesty and so but this seems like a really interesting idea to kind of uh explore characters that in a lot of ways kind of end up on the sidelines Mm -hmm. uh, of things many times um but a lot of these characters ended up becoming characters in their own right uh, especially when you think of you know Jake and and Nog specifically from Deep Space
1: 9. It's kind of an interesting concept too that I think that they could I mean it's going to be a mini series but there's I I don't see a reason why they couldn't continue it for not such so much a long form uh you know years long series or anything but there's so many different sons and daughters in Star Trek. I mean we could even get to a point where we have Naomi Wildman or you know some mm-hmm. other younger characters that were on the show and just get one off or, you know, one shot issues that focus on each of the characters. I think that would be something really interesting and, you know, to explore over the coming months. So, um, yeah, IDW is, is, uh, no slouch when it comes to producing Star Trek comics. That's for sure. Mm -hmm. Yeah,
0: no, I agree. Now I will say that, um, if you, if you ask me, uh, and, and this is just my personal opinion is is we are uh, going to have a bunch of comics here to review in just a moment but um, I do think that the amount of comics coming out actually is probably too much yeah. uh, I, I, and I think um, as we talk through some of these comics that we are going to talk through um, there are uh, a, a couple of them here where in all honesty um, I, I you know, if I'd never read them, I would not have felt like I missed anything. And, and so I think I, what I would rather see is with the comics, if you're going to do them, um, I really want to see quality more than quantity. And that's, mm-hmm. of course, how I feel about the books as well. And I don't just want a book coming out, you know, every five minutes. I'd really rather have good quality. Um, and unfortunately, I do think uh as much as I've enjoyed some of the comics and we praised, you know, um we've had a great time with the, the ongoing Star Trek, uh I think Defiant. We also really enjoyed Resurgence as well, um, tying into the game, which was a complete surprise to us. But um yeah, I, I think as we talk through today, there's gonna be some here that um I, I I think quality needs to come first instead of quantity.
1: Yeah, I would agree with that. There's um to put things into perspective for the listeners here since the last time we recorded there's been nine comic books that have come out six of which we're going to talk about today but that's you know a couple of week you know in the last month or so um which is a lot and, and to be fair they're all you know a lot of them are by different authors and artists and everything but um there there's something to be said for trying to appeal to all audiences but I'm in complete agreement with you, Matthew. It's, it's, there there comes a point where there's maybe too many coming out and, um, yeah, there's a few of these that would have been, would have been fine if they'd gotten pushed or maybe not happened at all. I don't know. I guess we'll see.
0: (laughs) Well, I, uh, to, to dive in then to comics Uh, we've got star trek 12 which wraps up the day of blood series and so i just wanted to ask you i really this is kind of the culmination of everything we've been doing in the day of blood and a a lot of the big push towards you know not only uh, star trek here but also the defiant series so this is is really uh bringing it uh to a close and and so how how do you feel like it did in that because um you know, this has been a big overarching story, and they've kind of been building up with both of these comics. And so, how did it wrap up for you?
1: I thought I thought it wrapped up pretty well. I mean, this is a pretty epic story that we've got here. That um, really starts. We get we get a little bit of focus on all the characters that we've had so far. Um, I mean, it, it's wrapping up. Kind of all of those storylines. I mean, it, it talk about jam packed. I mean this this story is. I mean it's it's got a lot to wrap up, and I think um, overall it did a, a pretty good job. And then you know, kind of sets the stage then for whatever might be coming next. And um, you know, I, I think that they're gonna um, transition pretty well just from this the overarching story of the ongoing Star Trek comics. As a whole, but also this Day of Blood story. I mean, I think we're seeing some growth in our characters and some, uh, the relationships and interactions between them, uh, kind of growing. And, and some, I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing where they continue this story, uh, both in Star Trek and then as we talk about Defiant in a few minutes here, too.
0: Yeah. So for me here with the, the wrap-up of Day of Blood, I pretty much agree with what you said. I, I will say, though, that it did feel like they got to this point and they didn't quite know how to actually end the story when, with the epicness that they were telling, um, especially when we think of, you know, Calus trying to be a god killer. And in that, I, I, you know, I, I did – I mean, there's there's something – there's good and there's bad to this. Like, I thought – The idea of the crew of the Defiant and the Theseus coming together and taking all of their expertise to be able to defeat this was interesting. But then it also made me feel like the idea of having the Orb of Destruction and Creation almost came to a moot point, Mm -hmm. um, which was a little bit disappointing. And it, it, it just felt as though they had maybe written themselves into a corner and they kind of wave almost like the magic wand, I felt like, and just be like, oh, we're out of the predicament now. <laughs> and so, like you said, though, I, I do think that this uh, there's some nice character growth moments here. They really do set up, I think, an interesting uh, idea moving forward, especially with what they're going to do with the Defiant crew and uh th- those characters that we've built here uh, throughout the series and so i'm very interested to see that um you know i think to me i'm still really interested though for the star trek run diving continually more into you know cisco himself mm-hmm. and the idea of you know being a a a prophet, you know, like and having this type of power and, and what that actually means, I think, is something I'm still really uh, interested in because they've kind of hit it here. And then at the same time. I, I felt like that was a thing where I, I thought that was the stone they were really going to overturn um and then they don't and so uh, mm-hmm. yeah so it's a little bit of a mixed bag here and 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 which is interesting because I feel like it's one of my first major criticisms of this run so now the, the next comic here is is just a one shot called Shax's best day and it is basically i would say a humorous look at uh what's happening at the end of the day of blood from Shax's point of view and in all honesty, Casey, I have very little to say about this comic. Um, I I don't think that it needed to come out. I didn't enjoy it at all. And, um, and mainly just because it added nothing because it's just this weird. I I don't, I I have a hard time describing it. It just felt very odd as a, as a comic in the first place. Um, Especially since it just didn't seem to do anything important or needed for the the story that we had been telling um it just seemed to exist
1: i i agree 100 percent with that this I, I can see what they were trying to do that you know with uh, trying to appeal to lower decks fans we've had Shax in the day of blood series which was kind of cool to see him there this one it's it's written in the vein of the Star Trek Lower Decks comics, which we kind of liked. We we thought that those would even right. have made great episodes. This one, this would be one that if it was an episode of the show Lower Decks, I'd I would have been like, well, that was there, you know. And there, the you know, there were definitely funny parts. You know, Shaxx is a funny character and everything, but it, it just didn't hit like the other Lower Decks comics. With you know little quips at the bottom of each page, I just felt like that was just extra stuff to read, so I mean, it's always fun seeing shacks and seeing some different formats of the comics, but this one just didn't 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 add anything, yeah, it was yeah. a side quest that that we didn't need to have, I feel like unfortunately,
0: yeah, I mean it hit different in a way that. Just was like, ugh, you know, to me. I I just was kind of, uh, from almost the very first panel, I was put off by Mm -hmm. it. And I just, it was one of those things where I'm like, I I thought to myself, why am I I reading this? You know, and so, which was different when we came to Defiant 8, which is a follow-up to, it is the direct follow-up to what happened in the Day of Blood for the the crew of the Defiant, you know. um, So you've got... Worf and Roe and Bellana Torres, the Orion uh, healer that's been with them, uh, as well as, of course, Lore and, of course, Spock uh, as well. And I thought that this was a fascinating way to take this this group of characters because, you know, they're all renegades at this point. Um, They've all disobeyed Starfleet. And they're not... They're not being uh, necessarily punished, but they're basically being created as uh, Starfleet's unofficial bounty hunters, um, which I think is really an interesting way to take this. Because the D- D- Defiant itself too is is a ship that's been decommissioned, um, almost like you know the original Enterprise. And so, I, this whole thing is just really interesting to me. Uh, and you've got all of these characters that are going to be a part of the series. Uh, you know, Spock is going to continue on with uh, the, the group. And I find myself in a place where, okay, this is completely unexpected, but I'm really interested to see where they do take this.
1: Yeah, same here. I, it's This is kind of a transition from you know, the Day of Blood, to what they're going to do next. And they they titled this particular issue Another Piece of the Action Part 1. And I almost feel like this could have been a part zero, really, um, since it's, it, it is literally transitioning us from the events of Day of Blood into this new one where the events of this book are setting up what's to come next. And, you know, with the name Another Piece of the Action and some of the information that we get in this comic, you might be in your mind, tying it back to an original series episode. And I think you would be right to be thinking that. And, um, and then some of the other characters that they've really teased in this one that uh, will be coming up, I think um, are, are good picks for, for what we're going to be seeing, uh, especially with this particular crew and, and how this series is unfolding. Um, I'm, you know, I feel like I've been saying that a lot with Star, with the Star Trek ongoing series and with Defiant. I'm really looking forward to seeing where they take this because I think that the way that they're setting this up, there's a lot of really interesting things that they could do.
0: Well, I think uh, you brought up a really great point the idea of, you know, we are clearly going to be uh, going back to Sigma Iosha too because of, uh, you know, and one of the cool things I love about how they've done both of these comics is how they give us like the Lacar's text. Mm-hmm. So it's it's like the after action reports or captain's, uh, you know, logs and those kind of things, which I think make this feel very Star Trek-y uh, in that way because that's so much a part of Star Trek. Oh, we're reading this report or, you know, uh, it, this, like you said, um, I think this just creates an interesting avenue for a lot of these characters to go forward with. Um, you know, I think one of the things I'm most interested in is is how this is going to impact the relationship between uh, the, you know, Tom and B'Elanna Paris, mm-hmm. because uh, this is going to change their relationship as she's a part of this group and he's on the Theseus and you know, everything. So I'll be really interested to see how that plays out. Um, but yeah, I mean, you're 100% right in the sense that I think that they just with each kind of mini-arc with the series for Star Trek and Defiant keep coming up with interesting hooks to lead you into the next part of the story, which is great, which is exactly what you want from a comic series. So uh, I can't wait to see where that goes. Um, We do have the final uh, issue of Motion Picture Echoes. And uh, how how do you feel like this one wrapped up and ended?
1: It was... This one was a mixed bag for me. This isn't one that I'd say that I'd have been okay if they didn't have. I thought that the whole motion picture echoes run was kind of an interesting concept. It wasn't quite mirror universe. It was just kind of a uh, parallel or a uh, alternate universe. Um, you know, this one, <laughs> I hate to say it, but this, this particular issue is actually pretty forgettable for me. Um, and I say that because I'm kind of flipping through the pages right now, wondering if I read it, and I know I did, but uh, yeah, it's, um, you know, I think overall the, the whole concept was interesting, but, you know, here here's another place, actually, I guess, that I'd say too, where the whole concept of the Bajoran orbs was not needed or, you know, like they kind of didn't know what to do with it, and so... You know, by the time we get to the end here, it's like we're kind of back to the status quo. And, of course, we've got the alternate universe, Uhura, giving advice to Kirk, which, of course, he's going to... uh, Or not necessarily advice, but just kind of almost premonitions, you know, of of losing Spock and and things um, that, of course, come to fruition. But it, it was interesting i don't know that it really necessarily i would say helped our characters grow in any way that you know we hope that our literary fiction um does but i don't know i think if, if you're a fan of the motion picture era i i would still say that this is uh you know a good five issue run to to go through and you know you get some interesting action in it too
0: I find myself very much uh, in your camp here in that I I think that this issue is unfortunately incredibly forgetful. I think this whole series is incredibly forgetful, and mainly because I think the main problem with it is that the Echoes feel too similar to the Mirror Universe, and yet they're not the Mirror Universe. Uh, And so therefore, there's just nothing about this, this comic series that I find interesting Um, There was never an interesting idea explored that hadn't been explored before basically by having the mirror universe. And so I I think the – unfortunately, this was one I was actually very excited for because I love this period, and yet – Nothing about it gave me anything to enjoy really personally. Um, I I honestly wasn't really a huge fan of the art and I thought the story was incredibly lackluster and I thought it did nothing for the characters in in all honesty. So I I found this uh, and, and, and what you could have done, I think really with this series is created an interesting arc for Chekhov that would have set him on a course to want to pursue uh, command in the way that you see him pursuing that in Star Trek 2 with being on the Reliant, you know, and, and really just they never just dig into any of those type of things. Uh, and so, uh, yeah, incredibly frustrating, but um, maybe not quite as frustrating as the Scorpius Run 2, our Strange New Worlds comic that we're having, which all honesty, Casey, I can't understand this story at all i can't understand why i should be interested in it um and i find it to be just incredibly uh i mean the 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 issues themselves the art feels like a visual mess there's so much happening on every single panel that it's just it's almost hard to um even distinguish what's going on and again this is just i think that you there's a way to do this story better um and more interestingly uh but there's nothing quite that interesting about this
1: story unfortunately so yeah this is one i think that had a lot of promise in the first first issue like it could have just been a fun you know little mission for the for the crew to go on but unfortunately i yeah i I agree it's um it was hard to follow in this issue and i i I'm concerned, especially by by the end of this issue, where I'm I'm concerned about where they're gonna go with it and how they're gonna resolve these things. And we've got this like godlike being that is mm-hmm. basically anytime the the enterprise crew or any of our our people or ships or anything are uh, figuring their way out of a situation, the godlike being is rewriting the rules and just making it up as he goes to the point where there really is no winning. You know, like, the crew tries to go save another ship, and if they do that, they're going to get destroyed anyway, so what's the point? And, you know, so we're seeing our Valiant crew doing things for no particular reason. I, I don't... I I just... I I don't see the point. And and like you said, like the, the art is, is good, but like you said, it is so busy that it's, it's almost weird to say that the art is so good, you know, Mm -hmm. that it's actually distracting, but there, there is, there's just so much going on in every single panel here um, that sometimes it's, it's just really hard to understand what, what's going on and what I'm supposed to be focusing on. And, you know, it's, it's not even that there's just like Easter eggs or anything like that. It's just like, um, you know, somebody spent an incredible amount of time doing the artwork for this and almost to a fault. And it's, it's it seems like backhanded compliment your art is really good. So good. In mm-hmm. fact, that it's kind of ruining the story, but you know, I, I don't really know how to exactly put my finger on it, but yeah, it's just, it's, I don't know, obviously we'll keep reading it and, uh, you know, Perhaps we'll get surprised and we'll we'll get some really good things out of the the future mm-hmm. issues.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I hope so. Uh I mean I would like that because you know, we enjoyed uh the the, the previous Strange New Worlds comic for the most part. We thought both of them were pretty decent and, and this one just seems to not be living up to the potential that you could have. So we start a new series now, Picard's Academy. We get number one here. And I am very interested to see what it is that you think of of this one, uh, because I definitely have some very strong thoughts on it. <laughs>
1: yeah. Well, first and foremost, and I, I feel like I've seen this comment online before. I don't know how to explain it, but his on the cover art, his torso is backwards. I, I feel like we're looking at his back, but <laughs> I, I don't know <laughs> if it's just how it's drawn, but. Um, this is, this is another one that, that is an interesting concept for me. I thought, um, you know, we, we know very little about Picard's Academy days and, you know, we had even way back in probably the early nineties, I think we had those Star Fleets, uh, or Star Trek, the next generation, Starfleet Academy, young adult books, and, None of those ever featured Picard from what i recall and and so we just really don't have a lot of information about his past and I don't necessarily think I like the way that they, they took this though the the artwork is interesting it's it's a little lower deck see a little I, I don't i don't know it's not what I guess I would have thought from a Picard-centric um, story. It's, I mean, it seems like it's geared to younger readers. Um, and I just didn't, um, I don't know, didn't get it. The The humor was a little bit lost on me. There was a couple parts that I thought were, were kind of, I got a chuckle, but, you know, otherwise I just, I don't know what we're doing with the story or where it's leading Um, Are we going to end up on that fateful day at the Dom Jot table that we saw in uh, Star Trek The Next Generation? Uh, I don't know. This is is one of those ones that uh, had they never announced it, I would not have anything missing from my life.
0: I think that the main problem with this comic is the fact that they are going for this very odd lower deck style feel for a comic with Picard in it, which does not work because that is not who Picard is at all. Um, And I also think that the problem is, is that the way that it's written is so ridiculously juvenile and yet so not for juveniles in the first place with the language that's being used here. Nothing, absolutely nothing about this comic works. I kind of loathe it. And I don't say that about many things, but I I think this is a terrible misfire. Uh, And um, I I wish they – if you wanted to do this, I think the problem is is that the idea of exploring Picard in his his Academy years is an incredibly interesting idea, right? Especially when Picard is in the Academy. It's in that period we know very little about Starfleet history, um you know we're talking about the enterprise c era um which i've always wanted to know more about. I think this is just a travesty um it it's just not good um and I'm very disappointed with it and i'm I'm really incredibly disappointed with um the the tone that it's taken uh I think it's inappropriate for Picard I think it's just inappropriate in general because uh, I can't imagine really any adults liking this because it's written, it feels like, for 12-year-olds, but it's not something I would have handed a 12-year-old. So I just,
1: yeah. Yeah, I mean, like you said, yeah, it's... It's like they took those old Starfleet Academy young adult novels, tried to do it in comic form, but upped the language a bit. And, I mean, I've got, you know nieces that are in the the 12-year-old range and I know they've heard words that I probably didn't know back when I was yeah. that age but to to label something with Star Trek and put some of the language in here that that they did um is you know, as an adult, like I said, I I got a little chuckle sometimes, but yeah, like I would never hand this to a young person and say, mm-hmm. you know, read it. Don't yeah. ever say anything that they say in it, or don't call people the names that they call right. people in here. Um yeah. you know, some of the things that we know just from the episode Tapestry, you know, Picard was um kind of reckless sometimes. He got into fights, you know, and, and he uh you know, the fact that he got stabbed through the heart by a Nausicaan – you know, shows what kind of person he is. But here Mm -hmm. he's like this book nerd guy that is also pretty hot headed and doesn't have any friends, which some of that kind of works, but just, I don't know, not, not, not the way they did it here. And, and, you know, you even got Boothby showing up who looks nothing like Boothby Mm. and uh, telling Picard to go out and make friends and Picard saying, well, you're my friend, you're my only friend, which is not the, uh, not really the impression we got we got we got in the show i feel like boothby was more the mentor not picard's only friend so right just some of the ways that they're taking this are just you know kind of big big misses here so it's it's unfortunate with a picard something that's supposed to be tied into star trek picard Mm -hmm. really um just pretty unfortunate
0: well i think you said it well you know uh, the you know lower taxes created specifically for star trek fans that are adults you know be, with with uh the way that it's formatted everything about that show is is for adults it's adult humor and you know um the way that this is written the the look of the comic itself it just feels so juvenile and yet at the same time like it's not, and so, yeah, it's just a disappointment for me all around, and so be interested to see, you know uh, I guess where it goes. But uh, we'll have coming up uh, a review of all of the issues of Halloween um, in our our next episode, and so we just figured with what we've got here. So far, uh, it's better just to do the entire series and, and talk about that entire series uh, once it's finished because it's got one more issue as as we we're recording now. So it seems kind of silly to just talk about three and then have the wait. <laughs> um, so we'll talk about that. But, Casey, I, I think maybe it's time to go talk about uh, Patrick Stewart's brand new memoir. Make it so. Well, Casey – it's interesting because here on Literary Treks we've only done this once before where we have a nonfiction book that is a memoir by one of the cast members. And there are lots of memoirs that have come out from different cast members. Um, but this will be the second time we've done this. And instead of Kate Mulgrew, we are going to be talking about Patrick Stewart's Making It So. And I do have to say, I felt like this was um so much fun uh, to be able to dive into and mainly because um, – and I wanted to ask you this before we kind of even started talking about the the book itself. But, you know, the majority of this book really takes um, place with his early life and his stage work and mm-hmm. kind of setting the scene for what gets him to Star Trek. I mean I would say almost two-thirds of the book really feel like that. Um, and then the rest of it is kind of coming to Hollywood, being a part of Star Trek and all of those things. And mm-hmm. I wanted to ask you how you felt about that because, you know, obviously we're a Star Trek podcast. And was that something that you expected? Did you appreciate having all of that backstory? Were you glad that, you know, uh, you we got to spend more time there? Or did you want more in-depth about, you know, the seasons of Star Trek and then, of course, the films and then Picard?
1: Yeah. No, I I really – I'm glad that he went through – I mean, really, from his parents' history to some extent, too. We we learned a, l- a little bit about his parents like right at the very beginning before he even gets into his life, just to kind of set the stage, to use a pun, um, for his life, like especially his early life going forward. And I think – I love reading biographies, autobiographies, memoirs, things like this, just especially of people that I look up to and and, and enjoy learning more about. And he, we know Patrick Stewart from Star Trek. We know him from X-Men and maybe even some of the other things in Hollywood he's done. And we also know that he has done a lot of stage work, but I've never really known a lot about that. So I was really glad that he spent so much time Uh, going through that history because that's really what made him who he's become, you know, today. So I, I'm glad he didn't glance over that part because believe it or not, there's people who don't know him from Star Trek or maybe X-Men, which I was surprised at how little X-Men he, he really talked Mm -hmm. about, but, um, you know we got we got Star Trek peppered throughout you know he had little quips and little you know look forwards uh to you know Star Trek memories but yeah i mean that was th- those pre Star Trek days were probably some of my favorite parts of the book just because of hearing about young Patrick Stewart
0: yeah i mean i i find myself Right there with you on this one, because, you know, being a Star Trek fan, I know a lot of the stories that go along with, you know, Patrick Stewart, his time with, you know, Star Trek, of course, with The Next Generation and then with the movies and then even moving, of course, you know, into Picard. And part of that is just because, you know, websites and news organizations that are linked with Star Trek give us so much of this information um, and so it, it's not as though that stuff isn't already out there. And I, I think I'm right there with you in the sense that having him be able to give us, I, I think, a better taste of who he is as, as a fully rounded person, you know, where he comes from, um, and, and all of that was just much more interesting to me than having, uh, you know, um, chapter after chapter about, you know, things that I most likely may have already known. Um, And I think, you know, one of the things that when I think through, you know, we're just going to kind of talk through his life then as presented in the memoir. And, you know, his early life I found to be utterly fascinating um, because of the fact that he's not you know, an incredible student. He's he's somebody who is definitely struggling to find his place. And he's growing up in a household where, unfortunately, uh, there is domestic violence happening. And um, this is not easy for him. But I wanted to ask you about this because the, the domestic violence that he experiences, I found the way in which he approaches this to be incredibly moving because instead of being angry at his father um, and he never gives us any indication that he is excusing his father's behavior Mm -hmm. but the work that he has done to understand his father's behavior and where it may have come from i was just again utterly fascinated by because most people i feel like might come from that situation and just be still incredibly angry um and and yet th- the take that he has was so beautifully balanced between both of his parents and trying to understand where they were both coming from what was happening while at the same time, never, ever excusing the horrendous behavior his father exhibited towards his mother, not their whole lives, but mm-hmm. for a portion of, of their lives. And and I just found that to be so interesting. And and, and really, I think, to me, it, it told me so much about who he is as a person now. Um,
1: it was really insightful. Yeah, he, I mean, he did he didn't have to write anything in this book. He didn't have to touch on that at all. He could have, you know, said, I I grew up in an abusive household, you know, was subject to, you know, my father's anger or whatever it was, and then just blown over it and, and, and left it. But I, I agree. Like a lot of that was, was very touching. And even when it came down to the end of his father's life and, you know, he was talking about how, he he felt he needed, you know, closure when his father passed away, but not to the point where he really said a goodbye or anything like that to his father or to you know, to his his father's body or whatever when, when he went to the uh I think he referred to it as an undertaker, but um you know, like it it his father was always a part of his life, um, and I think he tried to make it for the better and Learn from it, and you know, just that, and and so many of the other parts, especially of his early life, but just all of the hard things that he talked about throughout this book, the embarrassments that he felt for certain things, and um, just the raw emotion that he put into it, um, was was pretty moving because we got a very intimate glimpse into his life that you know you don't get to see from a lot of people and to hear him and I do say hear him because I did listen to the audiobook too read by Patrick Stewart so there is also you know very moving aspect to that too um but you know to to hear him talk about these things and just be so open and um kind of naked with his 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 stories, you know, just putting everything out there for us that, you know, some things that can sometimes be very private things, uh, very personal things. And, you know, it's an interesting choice that he decided to, to do that. But at the same time, I mean, he's kind of trying to say that these are things that he's learned about himself through life and about other people. And, you know, kind of using it as an educational experience, I guess, for anybody who's who's reading about his story. So maybe they can take something that in their life if they're experiencing something similar. Yeah, I mean, speaking to that, too, you know, when you think about um,
0: and and as as I was reading, um, especially as he was, you know, Early being trained in theater and the people that he's being trained with, you know, uh, Brian Blessed and, you know, mm-hmm. Ben Kingsley. These are the I mean, they're the names are ones that we all know. And just to realize that that's the milieu that, you know, Patrick Stewart was growing up in being trained by uh, and, and being trained with really um, you know, because they're all of, of similar age. It was just incredible. uh, The amount of people that of course he's been able to work with. And, you know, I just, I loved being able to get a win, you know, a peek in the window of what that kind of world is like. Um, And, you know, I think it's interesting too, because um, I've definitely been to some plays and I've been to more musicals than I have plays, uh, and so I'm, I'm I'm familiar a little bit with with theater, but you know of course it, I unless you know you live in a major metropolitan area like a you know a New York or even a L.A. maybe San Francisco um, where you know major theaters are like Broadway and whatnot. Um, theater is is not quite the same as it is. I feel like in in. England specifically, uh, Europe as well. But, and so, but to get a, a behind the stage look at, you know, what it's like to put these things on, to learn to do these things, I thought was really, really interesting. And one of the stories that really stuck out to me um, was when he's doing the play with Ian Holm and who is to him a God of theater at this point and Ian Holm just freezes and cannot continue. Mm. Um, and then, you know, he talks about, you know, Ian finding his place in being able to, to go to Hollywood and, and, you know, uh, you know, really kind of find his place there. But that was something that was just fascinating to see the way in which, um, even people like that, you know, uh, they they can struggle with this, you know, being on stage. They can struggle with uh, this this um, this job that they're doing. And I found that to be an incredibly moving story. Just to, again, you, you know, you you were mentioning earlier the raw emotion that I think that Patrick Stewart does uh, and and is able to kind of put into the stories that he tells. Um, and I think he, he just writes in a way whenever he tells a story like that, where it feels as though, you know, he's telling the story by almost putting himself into the shoes of the person he's sharing about, you know, Mm. because he did share those experiences. Uh, And to me, that was, that that was another great way. And it's like, again, this is a world that I'm not very familiar with, whereas I am very familiar with, you know acting on film and you know i've heard many a stories about you know star trek and all that kind of stuff so to get these type of insights um into a world that i'm not very familiar with was uh you know really enjoyable and i'm really glad that you know he went this direction with the
1: book yeah he was from his from his earliest times of even trying to get into theater and get into school for it you know we have this view of celebrities as always, you know, kind of coming from a place of privilege and and potentially wealth, and you know, especially when you're t- talking about Shakespearean actors who are very famous from London or you know, somewhere in in England. Um, but he came from very uh, humble beginnings, I guess. You know, he was his family was poor. He wasn't sure how he was going to pay for school, and then. Being able to kind of relate to his his struggles as he came up, you know, he's he's trying to get just on stage non-speaking roles or even just getting one or two lines just so he can show what he can do, watching him go through... Or or listening to him go through, you know, these audition processes and getting the rejections that we hear about other actors, like film and television actors talking about, like hating the audition process and, and finding out he went through all the same, these same things too. Um, and, and yeah, like you said, as, as he comes up, he's got his idols that he's just hoping to even be. Be on the same stage with, be in the same play with, potentially share a scene with at some point, and um, h- him coming to the realization that these are just people too, you know, that they're also struggling actors who are struggling with their own things, whether it's some kind of, you know, maybe not necessarily stage fright, which is kind of what Edenholm, I guess, kind of suffered from to some extent, but um you know they're fallible humans too and and really kind of putting a human spin on these names of, of people that we know and and what's what's funny too is just his um humility i guess to some extent once he be- started become becoming more of a known actor uh probably more when once he was on TV but even back in his royal shakespeare company days and him getting so excited to meet somebody and then, um, I can't remember which there was some actor that he was so excited to meet and they were basically the same excited to see him and meet with him because they saw him in some other play too. and Um, a lot of relatable stories, I guess, in this of, of mm-hmm. his time coming up and yeah. and he had so many and so many, um, So many stage stories, but just the people that he met and his journey along the way, um, you know, reaching his dream of being in the Royal Shakespeare Company, but then having other opportunities come along that he wants to explore as well. Uh, It's just so relatable for somebody that you'd you'd look at and go, well, that's that's Sir Patrick Stewart. I could never relate to him, you know, and then getting all of these stories that, that tell you, sure you can.
0: Yeah, I I like that you mentioned that because I do think that he does a great job of because he comes from such humble beginnings, you know, mm-hmm. um I I think there is a part of him in, in you know, he even mentions, you know, in, in the end, um he even mentions throughout the book that he does enjoy the finer things in life, right? Like he, he comes to enjoy those type of things. Yeah. Um, but there's, there's always a sense to which, um, because he has the, those beginnings, you know, in a small town, um, with, you know, very little, uh, to his name. Um, you get the sense like, and, and I, I appreciated this about him that he, he never has taken for granted, the success that he's been able to have um and i liked that about the, in in the way that he tells the stories that he's had you know um he's he's never above in the book talking about the the almost the luck you know that he's been able mm. to have with some things you know um and uh, you know, he, he never portrays himself as like, oh, I earned this or, yeah. you know, it it, 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 it's, 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 a, there's a humility there. And, and I really do think that that that's something that, you know, is, is one of the things that's made him, um, such a indelible actor to so many people is that sense of humility that he has and the, in the way that he, but at the same time, the way he is able to kind of carry himself with, um, confidence even if he doesn't have it you know and which is what yeah. you know i think made him such a great um person for picard you know um but at the same time i think one of the things but that he does throughout especially the early part of the book is he is not somebody who has ever um had a lot of people that are very close to him which I thought was interesting, you know, um, Mm. and it, 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 him building that up actually led wonderfully into, you know, him playing Picard and being able to kind of find that character and figure out what it was supposed to be. But in, in many ways, without him spending so much time on his earlier life, I don't know if I would have appreciated actually, um, us getting to the stories about, you know, Star Trek and him trying to figure out the character of Picard and all
1: those things with, without um, having that kind of context. That's a really good point that I didn't actually pick up on. But, um, you know, now that you mentioned it, it seems so obvious that he never sounded super lonely, I don't think. But yeah, he didn't have kind of like a a lot like an inner circle of people that he ran around with or anything like he met people along his journey and, you know, in a couple of different cases throughout his life, he married one, you know, but, um, it, it, it does kind of, it does put into context how, and these are stories we've heard before about the early days of next generation where he was so serious and we're not here to play. We're here to work. And, um, you know, not not that he wasn't trying to build friendships on the set of next generation, but just that he'd never been involved in something quite as long. Um, and, you know, even wanted to, I don't know, move along with certain people. I mean, he, mm-hmm. you know, just, it's an actor's life, you know, going from job to job to job. And he might be with a company for quite a while. And I mean, Royal Shakespeare company he was with for, I think he said 14 years, And so, I mean, there's, but there's a kind of a revolving door of people that go through there and you probably get close to some and then they leave and then you might not see each other for a long time. And there was many times throughout this that he said that he never got a chance to see certain people ever again Mm -hmm. because their paths just didn't cross. But yeah, it was, it is interesting that his life really does, you know, and he even said too at one point that except for the fact that he in real life, loves children, but Picard was supposed to not care for children too much, but that his life really did prepare him uh, to play this character, um, you know, which I do remember now, too, one of his previous theater directors even saying something like he was he was having trouble finding the character. And um, the director said, well, you are the character, <laughs> you know, like, you know, just use your own history your own life um to play this character and another good lesson i feel like that most of us can can kind of take is that you know we're we're kind of our characters in our own stories here but uh you know like we can always draw on our our history our past to inform our current you know and our future and I feel like he was kind of learning that lesson along the way and mm-hmm. trying to infuse that into the characters yeah. that he was playing, too.
0: You know, one of the things that I was a little bit disappointed of in the book is that he didn't talk about because, you know, we we get um, him being in Dune uh, and talking about that. And, of course, his – and I've heard that story before about his experience with – um the the whole thing there i mean it, it was not great um with him and david lynch because of honest an honest mistake um that nobody yeah. really wanted to own up to in the end and but i i really wanted to actually hear about his experience on excalibur um and there's nothing in the book about that which i was yeah. actually disappointed that he he didn't have anything to share about that because i felt like that would have been really interesting because you know, that was one of his, his first roles, uh, and, in, in a movie. Um, and I felt like that would have been kind of fascinating, uh, to, to be able to, to hear more about. Um, and, and I kind of, ex- you know, he was doing such a good job of, of talking through a lot of, of things. Um, we, we didn't get to hear that. So I was a little disappointed in, and not getting to, to see what his experience was like on that
1: film. Yeah, it's, it is interesting. It's, yeah, I hadn't really thought of that either. And um, but he did mention conspiracy theory of all movies, you know, like which yes, uh, yes, seemed see, like well, such a strange one to mention yeah. among all the other things. I mean, I I love that movie, but mm-hmm. uh, of all of his his uh, his repertoire, his filmography, <laughs> the the ones that he didn't mention and and. I would be curious to know, like, why were there... I mean, if he, he obviously couldn't mm-hmm. just list off everything he's ever done, yeah. but... Yeah. yeah, especially in his early film career. I mean, yeah, Dune is a very big one that a lot of people are familiar with, but, you know, Excalibur um, was another one that kind of put him on the map, and, and certainly there's others before Star Trek came along. Um, and, uh, yeah, I would I would have liked to hear more because we I feel like we just got a couple of those little stories before we jumped, you know, once he got to Hollywood um before next generation there wasn't a lot of lead up to that and um that that would have been that would have been nice to have a little bit more just kind of reminiscence and stories and maybe he just couldn't think of any, I don't know, like that from nothing interesting enough to put in a book or something.
0: Yeah, that could be the case. Um, you know, it just might have been that you know, work on Borman's Excalibur wasn't super interesting for him. And, you know, I mean, he doesn't have an extremely large role in it either, you know, so that could also be a a part of that. But it would have been something that I would have been interesting to know. Um, I, I do, when we talk about, you know, him writing about his Star Trek work, I think the thing that I was actually most interested in With the Star Trek work, because I've heard so many of the stories, of course, that he's told over the years at conventions, which then, of course, you know, trickles out uh, to to what we get uh, on the Internet. Um, But I was actually really interested and I wanted more about his experiences on the films, you know, Um, and I was a little bit disappointed that he didn't spend more time with specifically. You know, he praises, of course, like he always does. He loves first contact. Um, and But I, w- I wanted to know more about, you know, his thought process on Generations and, um, you know, uh, and especially with Insurrection and Nemesis, you know. Um, and, and I would have enjoyed hearing kind of more of his musings on – I know, you know, he talks about being frustrated with Generations and them adding Kirk and everything, but then it turns out, you know, I mean – him and Bill Shatner turn out to be great friends because of that. Um, and I, I guess the one that I would have been most interested in knowing more about was insurrection. Yeah. And because it's just a film almost that I feel like gets forgotten. Um, and it's not a terrible film, but it's not a great film. It's just kind of, you know, there. And I, I really would have liked to have heard, you know, um, what he thought, because there were so many different ways that film was also thought of going as well. So that that's the one where I just
1: wish he had added more. I, I agree. It was, I, I was really hoping for more movies, especially because he, he did go into some depth on generations and his, like you said, his, his frustrations with bringing Kirk in there, um, his excitement with getting to work with Malcolm McDowell and, um, you know he did he did kind of refer to generations as an extended episode which i don't it's funny cuz i and i feel the same way about i've always said the same thing about insurrection that it just feels like an extended episode which to me doesn't seem like it should be a bad thing and maybe it's not something that people go to the theaters for but um i would like to have heard more about well i mean all he ever did was mention insurrection. Like, I mean, it was literally like he was just listing off the movies after, um, <laughs> after, uh, first contact. But I would have, I would have liked to have had some, like there had to be some stories from there and maybe even some frustrations. Like what was, did they have frustrations when they were making it? He, he did mention that with nemesis. He felt like they didn't have a very strong, um, movie. And I, I, I've heard stories about that one was frustrating for them to make. Um, you know, it was interesting hearing him talk about Tom Hardy, but I mean, the the fact that he went from, he did Generations, he did First Contact, he mentions Insurrection, and gives a small story about Tom Hardy on, on Nemesis. I, I understand they, they get frustrated with their works, and, you know, some of those films might be kind of a bummer, but it's it's kind of like Excalibur. It's like, you, you gotta have something for us. Like, tell tell me something here. Um, but I mean, it's clear that for him, insurrection was kind of an afterthought and, um, and even nemesis was just kind of the, the way they had to end things at that time of their lives.
0: Yeah. yeah. No, I mean, I definitely agree with you on that. And, you know, I think, um, it, it would have been interesting, you know, cause yeah, he, it, fascinating story obviously about tom hardy and the fact that you know he just had no rapport with the cast he didn't seem to care to have rapport with the cast and i know hardy was of course a very young man at the time and um you know doesn't seem to necessarily handle uh things all that well um and you know but i that film of course was also plagued with a lot of problems having to do with the choice of director and and all of that so um I think you're right in saying it It just seems strange that we just got – and maybe it's just one of those things for him. You know, insurrection is, is honestly not even worth remembering. You know, it just – it was there and he moved on. Um, and, you know, I thought it was also um, – like you said, he mentions – he mentions conspiracy theory, which I thought was interesting, and I, that was also one I would have loved to have heard more about because you know he gets to play the villain in that movie, which is you know mm-hmm. such a different role for him, especially at that time, um, you know, working with uh, Julia Roberts and Mel Gibson. I would have loved to have heard more about what that was like as well. Um, so it's a little bit disappointing that we didn't get an opportunity to hear more about that. Um, and I also I would have actually really enjoyed hearing even more about his work in x-men um Hmm. and um you know because i mean he's in a lot of the movies um he's in most of them actually and i really would have been fascinating to hear his thoughts on um the the whole series but specifically one that i wish he had gotten a chance to and he spent more time on would would have been days of future past Um, because it's such a pivotal movie in the series. I I love that we got a lot on Logan, which was fantastic. But, you know, Days of the Future Past is, is awesome. Uh, and I would have loved to have heard what, you know, he had to say about that.
1: Yeah, it's, it is interesting because, I mean, he clearly, like you mentioned at the beginning, like, he spent a good two-thirds or more of the book pre-Next Generation. And, um, X-Men has been such a, um... A big part. I mean, it was like at the end of the nineties. I mean, at this point when this book comes out, it's 25 years old or something, whatever the first X-Men came out. Right. Yeah. It's 2023 now. So, um, but you know, it's, I don't know, like I I enjoyed hearing how he got involved with it and his, his first meeting with Hugh Jackman and, and things like that. But yeah, that's, just another part where I'm. Um, I, I just wondered. Did I don't know. Did he not have a lot to say? Were some of these X Men movies just kind of there for him? Because yeah, he spends a lot of time on Logan, which is arguably one of the better, best X Men movies potentially. Um, you know, and and kind of the most real to some extent. Um, and and working with. Um, with Hugh Jackman. And I can't remember the, the little girl's name now from that movie, but um, I I would have liked to just hear more, you know, just about the progression from from the original cast of the X-Men to the younger cast in Days of Future Past, and then, you know, again, into Logan. And even the small part he played in Doctor Strange too, and, and bringing that character back when he'd killed off logan or he killed off xavier and logan spoiler alert for any non-x-men people but um i don't know there's you know he's known for like in america for really two things captain picard and professor x and he just spends so little time on on that that professor x piece that i I was just kind of shocked by it i guess that um -hmm. he just didn't seem to have a lot to say
0: yeah, I was I was shocked by that too. Um I, I wanted to, to ask you too about um he does spend some time, of course, with Picard. And I was I was really interested about um the way in which he talks about this because a lot of the stuff I feel like I know pretty well. Um and this was another place where I I would have very much liked more of his thoughts on how, especially the first two seasons played out. Um, Because, you know, I guess for me as a a fan, you know, one of my questions for him uh, would have been, the way those two seasons play out are really because of your stipulations and what you're in, in a lot of ways. And are you happy with it? Because I, I, you know, I don't think, I think the, 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 the consensus, you know, really for, uh, the, the first two seasons is that they're either okay or not very good. And mm-hmm. I really would have loved to, to have seen him kind of do some soul searching about those first two seasons of Picard specifically.
1: Yeah, I, I'd, I'd agree, especially because he, he devoted some time to being pitched the idea and listing out for us in his own words, his three stipulations for coming back. Um, almost all of which were <laughs> kind of went out the window in the first season anyways, because he did end up in a uniform. He did wear a com badge. There were, uh, what, three of the next gen cast members that showed up in it and, Um, but even, you know, even when he was kind of going in depth about season three and really talking about that, his, his vision for the final scene with some woman's voice, which he said would have been voiced by his real life wife, um, but just some voice calling him in for... Dinner or whatever it was, um, and and kind of leaving it on this ambiguous note of was that Beverly, was that Laris, was that somebody else? Did he finally find love? Which was something that kind of did get, you know, he was talking about living, leaving it on this just big question mark. Which I kind of feel like they did anyway. We we got a little closure with him and and Beverly, but Laris just goes off to whatever planet she was going off at the beginning of season three, and we never hear from her again and you know the fact that he even devoted some time to talking i mean very little time in the book but at least mentioning um her and her character in the book i kind of would have liked to know where 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 is laris where you know what happened to her and we built up so much between them in the first couple seasons and really the first season but even some in the second season that um just kind of got left on the floor. I feel like once they decided on a on a a path for season three,
0: yeah. I'm I was really fascinated by that, um, and I'm glad you brought it up because it was definitely something I, I wanted to be able to talk about. And to me, and this is just 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 my thoughts on this. So, um, but I think that this goes to show that. Actors don't always know their characters the way we think they do and they don't always know what's best for their characters um, and don't necessarily understand the story completely. Um, You know, to me, season three of Picard is so much about um, the importance of family and Picard finally getting that, especially after season two. And of course, you know, it's up and down nature, but really about kind of um, helping him become emotionally whole so that, you know, by the time you get to season three, he can have this experience that will lead him to the thing that he's always pushed aside and and denied himself. And so I think it's, it's really weird to me that... Um, you know, he would say his uh, desire was to have it be almost this ambiguous end. Is it Beverly? Is it Lera? Is it somebody else? It's like that's not the story that was being told, you know. <laughs> and to me, the story was um, about him finally um, having a family, and that you know the answer in the end was yes, it's Beverly, you know. Yeah. Um, and so uh, to me, uh, yeah. I um that was a weird one uh to <laughs> to to have him th- and I'm glad that they didn't do it um yeah. because I think the ending that they got was much better and it did allow us to be able to uh, I think get the closure if this was the last time we see all of uh, those characters that that fans would have wanted you know and again I think sometimes You get actors, and they want things to be super artsy-fartsy, and, Mm -hmm. you know, uh, that's just, you know, to me, that's – I don't think that that's what the season called for, uh, and it didn't seem to fit with the rest of the season anyway, so.
1: Well, and I think, too, that, you know, looking over his stipulations for returning as Picard, you know, some of them are kind of – it's just – it was more it it feels like it's more the actor saying i don't want to wear a uniform again i don't want to be on the bridge of a spaceship again i want to you know like explore other parts of the character but i patrick stewart don't want to have to get into that crazy futuristic wardrobe again i want to wear something comfortable or whatever you know like whatever his reasons were behind that but, but what I, what i think Regardless of how anybody feels about the first season or the second season, those stipulations and however loosely they they've followed them um, did make the writers think outside the box and come up with uh, what could have been an interesting story and path to take the character on. I, In hindsight, I wish they would have kind of started with what they did in season three and just carried that through three seasons and just... Call it made it a next generation reunion without calling it one, because, as we saw in season three, everybody can have their time to shine, but it's still a story about Picard, and that's something that did get lost in the first couple seasons that um you know, I think that we could have had similar elements to those stories in in seasons one and two, and had it be basically be a more meaningful story to Picard that leads a little bit better into season three than some of the confused storytelling. I think that we got early on, but um, you know, I think that what we got in season three is what I would want to see more of or more, um, more follow on to, I guess, you know, he, he even mentions like we're probably, we've probably seen the last of Picard, but you know he does want another crack at a movie and wants Jonathan Frakes to direct it. And I think if they did it in a similar vein to what they did in season three of Picard, I think that that could make a another First Contact kind of movie that he's looking for. And I I don't know is that something you'd want to see as a another another shot at a feature film for him?
0: I mean, you know, I think that if you have this written by somebody like Terry Metallus. Yeah. Uh a hundred percent would love um to to see that. You know, I, I think that would be fantastic. Um I think, you know, that's that's the kind of uh story I would love to see happen, you know, because I, I think that they did um such a fantastic job with the third season um so i it's one of those things where um if it's done right i, I think it could actually do it uh and so yeah i, I would love it um if that happened um but I, I think it you know it's one of those things where it just ha- it would have to be done right and um and I, I think everybody would agree with that right you 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 that's not i don't think i'm saying anything that any fan is going to be like nah you know just get whoever because it, uh, obviously with uh the Star Trek the Next Generation movies we've already seen the the ways in which um you know those don't turn out well if uh they aren't you know um done by the right people you know and so i, I 100% think that you you would have to be very very careful um about, you know, who you got to, to do that. So, but I mean, yeah, I'd love to kind of, um, I, I wouldn't mind seeing that happen. it would be great. Um, you know, I, was there, uh, for you, was there anything else that just kind of stuck out to you about, um, the, the stories that he had? Was there anything else that, um, that you would have loved to have seen or and enjoyed, uh, or, was there anything else that you feel like you would have liked to have known about, or was there anything else that kind of surprised you uh, in the book?
1: Well, I'll say that um, if anybody listening here has not read it, you should. And um, I, I would even suggest the audiobook. Hearing it from Patrick Stewart himself was, was great because when he's acting out scenes, you know, it's one thing to read it in the text, but to hear him him actually, you know, play both parts or, you know, you know re deliver the lines from first contact. Um and you know, one of one of the things though I, I would say that um I was I was trying I was trying not to be you know a critic, I guess, as I was reading the book, but some of the things that stuck out to me in a a slightly negative uh, way, or, you know, I guess maybe kind of took me out of it just a little bit was um, sometimes there were little comparisons he'd make or little uh, kind of I don't know, superlative language, I guess, that he'd use sometimes, or, you know, he'd, he'd say something like, and I can't think of an example off the top of my head, but he'd be like, "It felt like Harrison Ford in Raiders of the Lost Ark when he was blah, 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 and like describing something that he had like no part in, had maybe liked a movie or a play or whatever it was he was referring to, but it just seemed like it came out of nowhere. And, you know, every once in a while, it was like, did the editors make you add words? And so that's <laughs> how he did it. But I mean, um, you know, there was, a, there was a handful of places like that. And then every once in a while, especially in the, in the first chapter of the book, really, when he's, he's giving a lot of um, little... Not so subtle, uh, Star Trek quips when he says to engage or, you know, when he's dreaming, like looking at the clouds, dreaming as a boy of flying high above the clouds, boldly going somewhere, you know, and it was just like, okay, we get it. You're <laughs> Captain Picard. Let's get into mm-hmm. your life. But, um, no, I mean, it was, it was, it was fun. And you know, it was here. It was fun hearing him. Um, and, and again, reading reading these stories from from him it's just a really interesting and intimate look at his life that um hard hard to kind of pick it apart too much without being really petty like i just was
0: <laughs> yeah no no i i mean i think coming to a book like this you know there are all things that um we would love to hear somebody to be able to, to talk about you know and so in and, and with a life like Patrick Stewart's had it would be difficult to write about everything everyone would want to hear about and so but all in all i mean I, just for for rating's sake for me i mean i think that this is really good um i, I really enjoyed the book i thought he do it, he did such a wonderful job of allowing us to be a part of his life to understand what it's been like for him um, and I very much enjoyed this book and I mean, it, it's four out of five pips, you know, if there's a fifth fit pip, you know, um, you know, he, he should have had it. I guess that meets you an admiral, right? So, you know, I, I, I thought it was great. Um, it's, it's really a fun read. I think, uh, he does a, uh, he has a very conversational style with his writing. So it was an easy read in that way. Um, and like you said, I can imagine the audio book being so worth having to have him read it. Um, so absolutely. Like I couldn't, couldn't imagine, you know, this book being really much better. You know, there's a few things I would have loved to have heard more of, but Hey, you know, that's okay.
1: Yeah. I will, I will also give this one, uh, four pairs of tights out of five. Nice. Um, It's, uh, yeah, you know, just, um, I would like to, you know, after reading this, you know, we've had Kate Mulgrew's book. You know, Bill Shatner's written several. I would really like to read something by Avery Brooks um, about his life and and everything. I I think getting the opportunity to hear from somebody like Patrick Stewart in their own words—it's—it's one thing to read a biography. That's somebody's done some research, even if it's while somebody's alive um, and and this biographer is following them around. And um, like, you know, one of my favorites is Walter Isaacson who wrote Steve Jobs. He wrote Elon Musk. Like I I just, you know, I love his writing style, but it's such another thing to, to really get to hear things in the, um, I was going to say the author, but in the person's own words about their life and they're recreating things from memory they're probably you know building some stuff up for a little bit of dramatic flair and effect and everything but for especially for this one it's it's so worth a read if you're a fan of star trek if you're a fan of x-men if you're a fan of theater this is definitely a, a good one to pick up and and read or listen to
0: well, Casey, it's always a joy to be able to get together and talk about uh, Star Trek book, but I, it's, it's a lot of fun to be able to do something very different and talk about Patrick Stewart's memoir. But I'm excited. You know, we, we hope to have some great things coming up for everyone uh, here in Literary Trek soon. And so always be on the lookout for that. But if people wanted to catch up with you and see what else you've got going on these days, where would they reach out to you?
1: Well, you can find me on Goodreads and Letterboxd at Knitting Trekkie. And you can also find me uh, hovering and lurking and whatever around in the Babel Conference on Facebook. And uh, Matt, when you're not uh, prepping for your next major non-speaking role in a theater production, where can people find you? <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, it's a, it's a lot of hard work. Uh, but, of course, yeah. you can find me all over social media under the name Matt Rushing 2 Of course, here on the network, you can also find me uh, talking about all the franchises outside of Star Trek we love in the 602 Club. And then for Star Trek, you can also find me with The Orb, Warp 5, Saddle Up, and The Artificial Tango. Over on the Nerd Party Network, you can find me with two shows. One is called Outpost, talking about every single chapter of the Harry Potter series, one chapter at a time. And you can also find me on Aggressive Negotiations, talking about Star Wars each and every week with John Mills. But, thank you so much for joining us. And until next time, live long
1: and read on.
0: You call that light reading? To each his own, number one.